Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. This is the Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Yes, it is time. It is Hot Stove back once again. Brought to you by Hatback. Gary Hill, Aaron Goldsmith here. Aaron, welcome to your first Hot Stove of the offseason. How does it feel? I just, you know, it makes me think of um, kind of like the scene in the clubhouse at Rogers Center after the Mariners had that comeback win. And they're just, just popping bottles and it's just, it's just spraying everywhere, Gary. I could just, you know, that's how I feel right now. Gary, it's great to be back with you, man. We, you know, we've seen each other um, a little bit over the offseason. We've talked plenty, but now, Gary, to be back and work with you, to be on the clock, feels good, man. <laughs> be on the clock punch it in for the big show nice uh i'm excited about this show i think it's gonna be great pete woodworth is coming up i feel like we learn something about pitching every time we talk to pete sometimes about pitching sometimes about other things so i'm excited to talk to pete uh you mean major league coach of the year pete woodworth yes absolutely i'm excited to find out about the award uh how what like the, the physical award, award. The physical award. Yes, I me know. too. Yes. Uh, I assume it's on his mantle or something. Somewhere. Maybe mine not even. I hope it doesn't fit on his mantle. <laughs> Andy McKay is going to join us. Speaking of learning something. I don't know if there's somebody. This is a high bar, but I, I don't know if there's anybody in the org that gives deeper, more thoughtful and insightful answers than Andy. And there's stiff competition for that. So yeah. that's that that it's high praise because there's he's he is phenomenal and uh, congrats to Andy on the promotion of uh, this offseason. Absolutely. Uh the first 2 weeks of this show we or the last 2 weeks we dove into the Astros, we took a look at them, we took a look at the Rangers, we're taking an in-depth look at every team in the division and this week we are taking a look at the Angels which have had Maybe the most interesting offseason of anyone in baseball. And the whole Otani situation I find fascinating. I, I, I can't wait to see how this all plays out. Just enjoy them while you got them. <laughs> That's right. But first up, and we're going to dive into it right now, we have with us Mariners pitcher Logan Gilbert. Logan, it is great to chat with you. How's your offseason going? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, it's been great. Everything's been good. Uh, just enjoying it and uh, getting back to work now. Looking forward to spring training. Let's not let's not beat around the bush. Uh, the goatee right now, Logan. 
Uh, let's just start with the hard hitting stuff. The goatee became one of the great focal points in the back end of last season, not just for you, but I think for the Seattle Mariners as an organization. Right now, there's a quasi goatee. What's the status of the goatee in spring and moving forward? That's hilarious. I, I thought this might come up. Um, I didn't know it'd be this early, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was kind of surprising. I don't really know how it happened. Um, I was just trying to spice things up late in the year. Um, you know, it's a long season and I've never tried it, just went for it. And I think a lot more people talked about it than I ever thought it would happen. I was just doing something funny. I don't know. Um, this is just a few days uh, getting lazy here, so I need to clean it up a little bit, but um, no promises for next season. Maybe, maybe something later in the year. Edgy, very edgy, Gary. I mean, this is, we already have a no promises. You can scratch that off the bingo card. This is Logan. I mean, Logan's not taking any prisoners this year, man. No question. Have you ever considered full beard, Logan? I mean, we thought full beard. I, I can't, I can't do it. Not right now, at least. Um, I gave it a half hearted try recently. And after a few days, I knew I didn't have it in me. Like physic, like you're physically not capable, or you just don't have the patience or the interest. Uh, I think it's physically, yeah. I, I don't think it's very spotty, very patchy. Um, maybe a little bit on the chin, but that's about it. How would you compare your goatee to Cal's? Um, man, I if he's listening, I would say that mine's better for sure. But um, to be honest, he's he's probably got me. He's been doing it for years though, so you know he's got, he's got the practice and all that. Hey, since Gary brought up Cal, we know you and Cal go back a long, long way. Do the players call Cal Dumper? Uh, now and then, yeah. Some guys do. It uh, it started catching on more and more. I, I think at first, nobody really. And then uh, I think once the T-shirts started, people just ran with it. And do people on the team call you Walter? Uh, certain people. Um, I, I don't know. I think that's how nicknames are. Uh, some people kind of buy in and some people, uh, might not like it, whatever. Um, but it depends on the day. depends on the person. Uh, I, I think on start days, I probably hear it a lot more. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about your off season. What does a off season look like for Logan Gilbert? You know, I, I try to just take it easy and relax as much as possible. Um, and of course, see family. We're back here with uh, back home in Florida and get to see my family a lot and um, just try to take all that in. Uh, you know, the this, this season's so long and uh, it's awesome, but it's, it's just a lot going on. So um, I try to take my time and relax when I can. Logan, I know you've always used a lot of technology in your training. You're kind of one of one of the guys more on the forefront of that side of things, Florida Baseball Ranch. Who did you work out with this year? Where did you work out? What were some of the te- uh, training techniques that you used that maybe you haven't used before? Can you kind of walk us through what that looked like for you? Yeah, for sure. Um, I love talking about this stuff. I'm just so interested in it. I love the training side of it, too. Um, and in the offseason, I really get to experiment if i want to i have a little more time so yeah i've been going over to the ranch um a couple times a week for a couple months now and um i just love throwing on the edge video edgertronic um the super slow-mo see how the ball spins out of your fingers um and that that really helps you know what to do with your fingers where you want to put the pressure how the ball is coming out um and then of course using the trackman data if i'm trying to make a pitch do something different so that stuff's been really good it's been uh pretty promising so far Nothing too crazy. Um, I don't don't think I'm switching things up too much. So just trying to kind of follow what I was doing at the end of last year. There's a lot of data that you can get 
with the Rapsodos and those kinds of things where you can see your movement and the, all the numbers on your pitches on a sheet. But when you talk about looking at the video of it with the camera and actually being able to see the spin, what advantages does that give you to actually see the ball versus the data that you might receive on some other form of feedback? Yeah, good question. It's for me, it's just matching everything up. So there's a few different route roads you go down. I think feel is huge. That's a big one. What you think is going on, what you feel and cues you'll develop from that. Then of course you see the data from what actually happened on the pitch. And then you look at the edge video and see, does my feel match up with what I just saw in the video? So if I think I'm, for example, pulling down more on the side of the ball, that last pitch, and it made it better and I see that on video, then everything kind of checks out. But if I feel like I'm behind the ball, but I'm pulling down on the side of the ball in the camera, then there's a little bit of a mismatch there and just try to get everything on the same page. So you're a guy now over 50 starts in your big league career, closing in on 200 innings a year ago. What kind of things are you concentrating on? What do you want to accomplish? Uh, yeah, innings has always been huge for me. Um, I don't know what it is about it. I know the game's trending a little bit away from that, but I think the best guys just go deep in the games and um, kind of the, the team relies on them, knows what they're getting every time out there. So I think consistency is just the biggest thing, especially at this level. Try to go out there and make you know 33 starts, whatever it is, and um, try to go at least seven and hopefully get to 200 innings. And then, of course, just the other stuff takes care of itself. You you want swing and miss. You want strikeouts, low walks. All that stuff's really important. Um, but I think all of that just kind of comes together. Logan Gilbert is our guest on the hot stove. Logan, you're you almost are a blend of two different schools of pitching. At least that's what it seems like on the outside. You've talked about the technology and the training and kind of the nerd factor that goes along with it, which is becoming more and more prevalent. And yet, if somebody were to watch you on the mound, uh, you got a lot of old school pitcher in you, right? We know how fastball heavy you can be. We know how come at you and attack you type of pitcher you can be. You don't seem like a guy who's on the mound processing and overthinking. I mean, you really feel like you are you are working with your catcher and you're just trying to at times overpower the hitter. How do you balance the information, the thinking man's game of it all with just the fact that you have this great unique ability and you want to just ride that as long as you can when you're on the Hill. Yeah, that's honestly a huge compliment to me because it wasn't that way for a long time. So it's, it's something that I think I've gotten a little bit better at every year and I don't think I have it perfect yet, but um, I think it comes with just knowing yourself. I know which way I lean. I'm, I'm a little more analytical, but I think it started back in college, working with my pitching coach there and really focusing externally on the target, on the catcher, what you want to do, all that stuff. So it's a balance and it's taken me every, every year. Hopefully I'm progressing in the right direction, but the days in between, I allow myself to get a little more technical but I have to trust myself to flip that switch when it's time for the game or even in a bullpen to be more external, not internal, not as analytical. And that's when it just comes down to, like you said, the old school stuff that goes back to um, whether it's thrown off the fastball or really just trusting your stuff, working with your catcher, trusting the catcher. That's been huge for me recently. So um, it's definitely a balance and I've gotten, I think better at it every year and hopefully continue to do that. At this point in your career, how would you describe where you're at with your secondary stuff? Uh, I feel good about it. I feel better every year. Basically, every year I've, I've made minor tweaks. Um, but uh, just like we were talking about before with my offseason training, you know, every year I hope 
I'm kind of closing the gap a little bit more on everything and hopefully not as major changes. And it's just fine tuning and consistency, consistency and all that stuff. So my curveball, I pretty much, you know, it is what it is. I like where it's at and the slider as well. Um, at the end of last year, I made a, another little minor tweak and I'm kind of r- still running with that. I think that's uh, the right route to go on. And a lot of it comes from looking around the league too. You look at arsenals and how they're put together and how they play off each other. Look at guys that I think I compare to. And, um, you know, there's obvious things that all these guys are doing and other things that they're not doing. Um, so for me, that's just a little more validation on the route I'm going down right now and continuing to pursue that. Let's talk about the slider a little bit more, Logan, because in your cactus league debut, a year ago, everybody was saying, what is this pitch? It was the new slider, right? So like, let's call that version two, 2.0 of Logan slider. It was, you know what it was, but for those who don't remember, it was, it was sharper. You could control it better. It was firmer, less break, less loopy. And then you rode that for a lot of the season. And then as you referenced kind of in the very back end of the season, the slider slowed down a little bit more. It had a little bit, a little more break to it. Is that, a whole new version of it? Is that version three or did you go back to version one that you had in your inaugural season with the Mariners? Kind of where is it now? If you say that that's what you're sticking with. Yeah. There's too many versions to be honest. <laughs> there's only one, but um, yeah, I, I guess it's just fine. It's fine tuning. Like I'm talking about, or those are probably more major changes, but yeah. So that the one you're talking about, I guess when I came into spring training last year was closer and in spring training, I had it pretty close to where I want it. But the um, without getting too technical, I guess the, the it had not as much depth as I was going throughout the year. So the ball was staying up a little higher and it makes it easier to get the velo that I want on it. I want to throw it at least mid upper 80s, but I was sacrificing some movement, some depth on that. And like I talked about earlier, my arsenal plays very north south. So on the slider, I'm trying to get that depth. And that's what I went to at the end of last year. So naturally you get a little more depth. You're going to lose out on some below. So then it's just finding a balance of how fast can I throw it while keeping that same depth. And ideally it's, it's a gyro slider. It's not a sweeper. So that makes it easier to control. Ideally that's, that's the thought process behind it. So it's a balance of keeping that velo and trying to get the same depth without the ball, you know, having that same carry as the fastball. For those, I think we take for granted a lot of terms when we talk pitching. I'd like you to clarify gyro slider versus sweeper. And also, what is when you talk about depth, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so, um, I mean, how I understand it, gyro is like a bullet spin. So, um, it's gravity doing the work. You throw the ball straight, and um, because there's no backspin, the ball is going to basically just fall with gravity. Um, so that's where it looks like the ball is moving down more so than sideways, but still has the velo of a slider rather than a curveball. So, um, and then a sweeper is just going to move laterally. It has more true spin around the ball. Um, so yeah, that's basically it. And the, from the depth standpoint. Oh yeah. Just, um, that kind of goes with the gyro, just, um, having the, I, I wouldn't say, Curveball is more loopy, so that's probably a bad description. But somewhere in between, the way the fastball stays way up and the uh, the curveball moves way down, it's somewhere in between where it looks like it's moving down, but um, it, it's more of a fall off the table, vertical pitch than a big looper. 
We're visiting with Logan Gilbert here on the Hot Stove, brought to you by Hatback. Looking for a great spot to catch the big game? Come out to Hatback Bar and Grill, located across from T-Mobile Park. Great food and beer, plus free parking. It's the place to be. Visit hatback.com to make a reservation. We'll continue more of our conversation with Mariner starter Logan Gilbert, coming up right after this. Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Gilbert from the stretch. Stares in. The 2-2. Swing and a miss. He got him. A four-seamer that he zips right on past Thice. Walter has been here all day, and he has been mean. Strikeout number 11 for Logan Gilbert. A career high. And he sits down the Angels again. Only one run allowed in six innings. A dynamite day for Logan Gilbert. Ah, yes, the domination that is Logan Gilbert. Welcome back to Hot Stove. Gary Hill, Aaron Goldsmith. We continue our conversation with Logan Gilbert. And, Logan, you left off talking about your slider and curveball. What does the process look like when you're trying to nail down a pitch, get a pitch exactly right? It's it's funny. It's probably different every time. I don't know if I have a great way to describe it, but um, you also you want to be really comfortable with the pitch. That's the biggest thing: the grip, the release, everything. And ideally, you want to throw it off your fastball. You want it to feel like you're throwing a fastball with a different grip, uh, and especially the slider. So uh, you just mess around with things. There's a time for experimenting with grips, but at the end of the day, you want it to be comfortable and you want it to work naturally. I think early on in my career, I was manipulating pitches a lot and in different ways. And it just makes it tough to get back to the consistency of those pitches when you're trying to do so many different things on so many different pitches. So for me, it's just keeping it natural, throwing it like a fastball, less manipulation, and just let the grip work. Logan Gilbert is our guest on the hot stove. Logan, something that I don't think received enough attention when it was happening and at this point, it's last season, so it could be certainly overlooked right now. And that is the health of the rotation last year. Uh, it really was remarkable. Uh, that group of players went wire to wire and made your turn. Uh, it, 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 in today's era, I don't have to tell you, it, it really is an outlier. For you personally, if there was something that you were to replicate, from last year to this year that would enable you to repeat that part of your game last season, what would it be? Yeah, it's tough. Um, honestly, I didn't even know till after the season that I, I think everybody made every start and that's uh, I, like unheard of, you know, um, it's, it's good enough for one pitcher to do that, but I give a lot of credit to the older guys, um, Robbie, Marco guys that have been through it, taking us under their wings um, and just, you know, Sometimes less is more. Sometimes you want to get in all your work, but they, they kind of help us navigate that line. Coaches do a good job. The trainers obviously are amazing and, and keeping us on the field, what they're doing. So I, I really don't know if there's a magic answer. Um, part of it's just being fortunate. I, I see it as a blessing from God just to be able to stay healthy. But I, I put in a lot of work too on making sure my mechanics are in line, making sure I'm getting in the training room when I need to. And um, I think the biggest thing that I learned last season was what I hit on early that um, knowing when's enough, knowing when you need to take it easy, when you need to take a day, all that kind of stuff. Now that we're a little removed from last season, when you think about everything that happened last year, what jumps to mind? Man, so much went on. I mean, the first thing last season, I think of the walk-off home run. I think I always will. It was incredible. The culmination of the whole year. 
I think the whole team just came together. It's the most fun I've ever had playing baseball. It, it was unbelievable. I think your answer is probably everyone else's answer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it unreal. As well, yeah, there's no question. When you look forward to this season, there's a lot of talk, of course, about the Mariners and the Astros. Now, the Rangers have made some real moves, right? You, you know DeGrom well. DeGrom is in the division now with Texas, and they added last year free agent-wise also. So they're on the come. But when you look at the Astros and the Mariners, how did you feel, since you got a taste of it the year before when you made your debut, in your mind, how were the Mariners, or to what extent were the Mariners able to close the gap with the Astros last season? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think there's a lot that goes into it on a lot of different fronts. Um, from a pitching standpoint, I think our bullpen is unreal. And I think we have a lot of depth starting too. So we're just continually adding pieces. And I think we just understand ourselves and just kind of like our identity, how we play um, and was, you know, going on the 14 game win streak and everybody's hitting on the right cylinders or, um, you know, early on knowing how to break out of slumps when we weren't playing our best. But I think it's just everybody knowing, knowing their part, not trying to be a hero, but just, you know, if everybody does their job, we trust that our team has a lot of good players, a lot of talent. And um, I think that just continually makes up a game here or there. Speaking of adding pieces, the Mariners, of course, added Luis Castillo during the course of the season last year. We were all aware of Luis Castillo as one of the best pitchers in the game. We've seen him on TV or from time to time in person. But what are were the differences watching him take the ball every five days in comparison, just sporadic? What, what was it like watching him so consistently? Yeah, I mean, that, that's probably a better answer. How to close a gap, you just add Luis Castillo. He's <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, he's he's probably one of the best pitchers I've ever seen. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't say that about a lot of people, but it's so fun to watch. I feel like a fan in the dugout that what he can do with the baseball and it's everything. It's not like he throws 100, but he's not just a velocity guy. He's got pinpoint control, but he's not like – just a finesse guy, you know what I mean? So, and not even to mention how much movement he gets on his pitches. It's unbelievable. So it's a nightmare for hitters. I don't know how they do it. We continue our talk with Logan Gilbert here on the hot stove. A couple of rule changes, Logan, you know, this very well coming up in baseball this year. You seem like a guy who will be unfazed by the pitch clock. You work at a really good pace, a really good tempo. Is this something that you have given any thought to this season or is the information you have that you, you're going to make it by the time the, the buzzer sounds each time. So you just keep doing what you've been doing. Yeah. I haven't thought about it a lot. Um, I think I'll be fine. I, I move pretty fast. I like to work fast. Um, the only thing I would think is maybe from the stretch with uh, if you need to step off or yeah, I mean, even the pitch calm, I think cleans up a lot of that, that we, we get our signs pretty fast now from the stretch. So I'm not too worried about it. I, I'm kind of excited about it. See, see how it'll change things and hopefully speed up the game a little bit. Is there a custom Pitchcom setting that you can share? Like, is there anything that can be on the record? Because what I've heard, Logan, is that like these can be recorded to say something other than just slider or fastball. Is there yeah. anything? Is there anything that can be released to the public? Or am I off base here? Uh, on the record, probably not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah, there's, there's nothing too crazy. You can change the voice for sure. So um, we can get whoever we want to record it. I've always just had the robot voice, but we've joked about different people being on the pitch com. But, you know, in the heat of a moment in the game, I don't know. There's probably certain people I, I, I won't actually want to hear their voice. It might distract me a little bit. 
And um, as far as the call, they can get, uh, you know, they can change the description on location or pitch what, what they want to call it. If you have a different name, I guess, for it, whatever. So um, sometimes they get a little bit creative with that, but um, that's, that's about it. Well, if you could choose anyone in the world to voice it, who would be the choice? Obviously besides us, because I think, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was my first answer, but uh, that's a good question. We've talked about that a little bit. I, I don't really know. I'd probably go with, um, uh, I like McConaughey. I probably, oh, yeah. He's got a good voice. <laughs> I'll you relax out there. There's no more shift in baseball, Logan, as you're well aware, beginning this season. Were you in tune with the shift? Because the Mariners shifted a lot. I don't have to tell you that. And it really worked out for the Mariners' benefit. I mean, the Mariners were one of the most successful and effective shifting teams in baseball this past season and even before that. Is this something that won't uh, be in your mind at all? Did you just pitch regardless of how the shift was to begin with? Yeah, I, I didn't change my approach too much. Um, if anything, I'd sometimes look behind me to know if I just let the ball go or if I should take a stab at it, if it's hit back to me quickly. Um, I looked at basically every shift. If we got the ball, I kind of saw it as a bonus that like, oh man, I didn't deserve that out, but you know, they got it for me because we got a guy playing in right field and threw it to first. But um, I, it's, a, it's a more true output probably if they get a hit that we could have shifted on. I just see it as I should have made a better pitch, honestly. Logan, finally, uh, you are like an ultra competitor that you might be. I mean, it's it's hard to say who's the most competitive guy, right? Like you can't measure that. But we know from hearing your teammates speak about you, your manager speak about you, how competitive you are. How are you able to turn that off and turn that on seemingly as effectively as you do? Well, thank you. Yeah, that's a, that's a big compliment. It's, it's hard to do too. That's another one of those things. Like we talked about with the old school, new school, it's probably easier to keep it on than uh, turn it off. But it's just natural for me growing up and a lot of us, not like I'm some outlier, but I get really competitive and like, all I care about is winning when I'm out there and it drives me crazy when we don't, or when, when it's my fault, something like that. Um, obviously I want to be the best. Uh, that's, that's always been my goal and I'm going to strive for that as long as I play. So I, I have very high standards and I want to win the world series every year for our team. Like I, I see that as a possibility. So, um, I think that just comes with the standards you set. And, um, I think that the team is definitely doing that now with the standards that we're setting and expectations. So, as far as turning it off, sometimes I could probably do a better job at it, you know, the day after or uh, when I when I leave the ballpark. Um, but uh, I, I think I do a decent job with it now. It's it's another one of the, those things year by year you get a little bit better at. Finally, Logan, on off days, we see you all the time with your big bag of contraptions working out on the field. Does that go home with you in the off season? Does it, do you go back to does it go back and forth wherever you go? Are you with your bag? It's a good question. Yeah. Um, I got it in the garage right now. Yeah. Uh, I, I took it to my training, put it in the trunk. I walk into my training the same way you guys see me in the outfield. So uh, it's not just a, not just a show out there. It's, I really do it behind the scenes too. How many, th- how many things, how many training things are in the bag? Oh man, I'm probably lost count now. It, you know, some, some of the things I, I don't even use all the time too. It's just, I like to have them available. If something I, that day I need it, um, you know, that probably doesn't happen too much, but I probably carry around more things than I actually use to answer your question. I don't know, at least 10, probably different things in there. So is this checked luggage on the way to spring training? Is that what this is? Uh, 
yeah, I think it usually is. Um, got to have it out there. On time. So I, I was going to say put it in the truck, but that's yeah, probably going through TSA just like everybody else. I'm surprised it's not so near and dear that you try to break it up and make it into your two carry-ons, you know? Yeah. It wouldn't, it wouldn't fit, though, I'm sure. It would not fit. If I lost one of those things, I don't know what I'd do. So uh, <laughs> probably got a good idea. I might get some funny looks, though, going through the metal detector, and uh, they're asking me what I got in there. <laughs> yeah, oh, a, big, a big ball full of water. You'd have to drain that first, right? I'd have to explain that first, and then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's such a great image, Logan. Thanks so much for taking all the time tonight. We really appreciate it. It was great to catch up. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Of course, guys. Yeah, good to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. There it is, Logan Gilbert. We'll talk to Pete Woodworth coming up right after this. Hot stove continues. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news. You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Welcome back to the Hot Stove. Great to have you with us tonight. Gary Hill, Aaron Goldsmith, Mariners pitching coach and MLB coach of the year. Pete Woodworth is with us. Pete, it's great to talk to you. <laughs> it's good to, to hear and see you guys. It's been too long. Oh, we feel the same. I, I, I envision something similar to Lord Stanley's Cup, the award that is given to the Major League Coach of the Year. Uh, how heavy is it? How much space does it occupy in your Florida manor? Uh, please walk us through uh, everything about this award because, you know, we talk about manager of the year, rookie of the year, but nobody talks about coach of the year, Pete. There's way more coaches than there are managers. <laughs> The field was more complicated for you, so congratulations. Uh, thank you, guys. Um, unfortunately, yeah, there was no, you know, uh, black tie event. There was no red carpet. I don't have an award. I don't have a physical. Uh, I, I don't have anything. Yeah, I don't, and I don't. I haven't spoken to past winners. I don't know if there is one. So, you know, my 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 three year old made me like a little, you know, a thing out of popsicle sticks. So maybe that'll. Hopefully that'll be the the award, and we'll pass it down to the next person next year, and, and so on. But yeah, no uh, no actual physical award. Well, this is better than it being the size of the Stanley Cup. Uh, I can so every year we just <laughs> every year the three year old just needs to see another bomb pop around July fourth, and we'll put it. We'll we will use some Elmer's glue, put a new line on there, and that can be for the next year's winner. Yeah, Aaron, have you seen and, the picture that Baseball America has used for Pete? You know, it's funny you bring that up, Gary. Um, I have some. Because it's great. It, it's Pete 
Looking at Luis Castillo, Luis Castillo is kind of in in the foreground, and Pete's got this side smile, eyes to the side. It's very sly look. I love it. Can I tell you what? Can I tell you what Pete's saying? Pete's saying, you know, once they traded for you, I was a lock to win coach of the. (laughs) (laughs) That was uh, that was after his eighth eight inning shutout. And I said, you just won me coach of the year. Um, <laughs> Luis Castillo days are fun, man. Those are fun mound visits. Those are just great interactions in between innings. Um, he's always smiling. So we're always smiling. You know, guys like that. I find so interesting because we're all aware of Luis Castillo. We've seen him on TV and see him once in a while, but it feels like such a different thing to see a guy like that every five days. What was it like for you seeing him for the first time as a Mariner every five days and just seeing what he does on the mound so consistently? Um, I think was his first one was at Yankee stadium, right? Yeah. And it, and it was pretty electric. Um, and I, he didn't really stop after that. Yeah. He's, he's interesting. He's, he's kind of one of the, one of the first guys I've been around that, is very laid back, like very, I don't want to say low, low preparation, but just has so much trust and faith and confidence in his stuff that he's not really tinkering with anything. He's not, um, he's not really diving into a ton of scouting reports and overthinking things. He's just, he truly believes in his four pitches and what he can do with it. And he just goes out and has fun and competes. The other four days are are very similar. Like he just has a ton of fun being around everybody and and plays catch for a little bit and throws his bullpen like everybody else. But yeah, he's he's different in that aspect in a in a really really good way though. Mariners pitching coach Pete Woodworth is our guest on the hot stove. Pete, we're we're going to talk about your pitchers uh, for a lot of this interview, but uh, we both want to spend some time talking about you because you can kind of be overlooked in the grand scheme like any coach can in Major League Baseball, but. You are still a very young man. You are in your early 30s. There are active pitchers that are older than you in Major League Baseball right now. You've had this really quick ascent within the organization. You obviously now have some hardware to go along with it, and you've overseen one of the most effective pitching staffs in baseball. People can tell, if they haven't heard you speak before, they can tell how kind of easygoing, almost just kind of chill of a guy that you are. But there's a lot more underneath the surface. How have you change the most as a coach in your time with the Mariners? That's a great question. Um, I think one of the, the big eye opening, I don't know, it, it has changed me, but my, my thought coming up and as a kid, as a player, as a young coach, as a scout, like I thought the major leagues and these players were unicorns and, you know, the just elite, elite stuff and, don't get me wrong. They have incredible stuff, but I thought it was going to be different coaching them. And I had to do something different. I had to bring more to the table and I had to, I had to out coach myself, but the stuff that, that we were doing that I've been doing in the minor leagues for the past four years before that. And I know I made a lot of mistakes, but, um, uh, a lot of the, the main themes, you know, continue to be the main themes. You know, it's just, it's holding guys accountable. It's, it's like you said, kind of, you know, having fun every day. We can't forget that, but it's the simple things. It's communication. It's making things simple. 
the game is so complex and there's so many things going on each and every day. How can we make it as simple as possible for these guys? And like I said, those are kind of the main themes that I, that were instilled in me as I played from a handful of great coaches and that I continued to kind of build my coaching playbook with. And it took me like a, about a month or two to realize like it, it doesn't really change much. The main things are still the main themes. You just have better players, I guess. <laughs> it's great to be talking with Mariners pitching coach, Pete Woodworth. Pete, when you look at your pitching staff, what is the most common theme within your staff that makes it successful? The competitiveness that they just go out there and, and attack guys and win counts. Some guys have a lot of stuff. They all do it in different ways. Um, but that's, that's what kind of glues them all together. And to expand on the idea of winning counts. Winning counts. Um, like I kind of mentioned earlier, dominating the zone, like they, they attack OOs and one, one counts. Every count is important. Every pitch is important. Um, you can go back and, and track four pitches that change the, the entire game. But the more you pitch in better counts, the better you are, whether you throw 88 or 98. And we've seen that since the beginning of this game. Um, and it's being talked about a little bit more recently, but it's something we've done a, a, a really good job of these past two years. We've been in the in top five and winning OOs and one ones, throwing strikes in counts that you need to win to go from one to one Oh is, is a big difference to, to go from one, two count to two, one count is a huge difference. And those counts happen all the time. And then you, you can just kind of take a look back, you know, Monday morning quarterback and, and look where we strayed. You know, we gave up the three run homer it was because we walked the lead off because we fell behind. And then Elvis Andrews got a two, one heater. That's how we lost the game. We fell behind two counts. They took advantage of it and they hit a mistake in a good count next move on to the next day and then flip it. Like, uh, you know, the guys that have the, the incredible games, uh, they're just in Oh, two, one, two counts all the time. Yes. They have great stuff. Munoz had an incredible season. He throws 102. He's got a 93 mile an hour slider. He was in Oh, two, one, two counts more than anybody in the league. Like hitters are just getting buried. Once they step in the box, they're, they're already, you know, a mile behind trying to play catch up and it's 103 and a 94 mile an hour slider. Like it doesn't matter what kind of stuff you have. And and we have all sorts of stuff from, from top to bottom of our staff. That's what they do well. And the guys that don't are the guys that don't stick around or don't have success. The guys that do absolutely excel and have career seasons and career careers. You mentioned the stuff. What goes into trying to make the most out of each pitcher's stuff, trying to make them the best they can possibly be. What are all the different things that the organization does to try and get them as good as they can possibly be? That is a, that is a loaded question that can, that can take a long time. So we, we have uh, our, our process is called a BVY best version of yourself. And it's something we address with the players in the off season. Um, and then it comes to life in spring training and, and every month we check in on their player plan, getting them as close to on the direction to the best version of themselves. Um, 
that's different for every single guy. Um, some guys do need stuff velo. Um, other guys need more focus on location. Some of it's their, their body and how they're taking care of themselves and, and physically. Um, it's a little bit different for our minor league guys who have a lot of development, but every single, every single guy on our staff has a, a BBY and a player plan. And there are at least three goals of things that they can improve to be a better pitcher, a better person, a better teammate. It's yeah. Like I said, it's not all black and white and some of it kind of comes organically. Uh, there's probably four or five guys this off season who had some pitch design, you know, fun stuff to, to, to become a better pitcher Add a pitch, change a pitch, uh, improve action, improve location. Those are the fun ones. But, uh, a lot of the stuff underneath the hood, like Eric Swanson, how did, how did Eric Swanson have the year he did? How did he become the best version of his self in the past 26 years focus on dominating the zone. I'm not saying his stuff had reached a ceiling, but his stuff was already plenty good enough. Three major league pitches, some a tick above, but he was just pitching in bad counts. So the focus was on winning OOs and one ones. And then the stuff explodes and he has a ridiculous season, but yeah, the, the pitch design stuff is the fun part, you know, guys adding a, a, a splitter or a, I guess everybody added a two seam this year, but yeah. <laughs> 2022 was the year of the two seam. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting you bring that up. We had been riding this wave of four seam fastballs up in the zone, and that was the in vogue thing, and it had really become a massive trend within the game. Then you have Robbie Ray coming up with a two seamer, and it trickled on from there. Is that something that you think will continue? And uh, maybe more to the point, if I can re ask my question, why was that so effective? That's a good question. Um, I do think that's going to continue. I just think the the game just kind of teeters back and forth, um, and and we go we go to extremes, and it, it's going to find its way back. It, it always has. It always will. And yeah, we went we went four seam heavy because we that's where swings and misses are. If you can ride it, if you can throw it hard, if you can throw it up, that's where they miss. Um, but not everybody can do that. And even I, I didn't, you know, really think about that. Like if you can't, if you can't throw a a forcing, if you can't ride it, if that's not your strength, don't try to do it, you know, and those guys kind of lean more towards sinking it, whether, you know, there's all sorts of reasons why guys can or can't do it. Everybody's different. Everybody has a unique release profile, you know, different stuff like that. But we, we kind of found this year, the league's going to adjust to it. And they've kind of just been training. Hitters have been training to now defend against that pitch and they're getting better and better at it. So now there's an opening for guys to go the other way. And what we found was that guys that can do both are extremely deadly. It's hard to cover one of those. You have to sell out for one of them. Um, One of them's at the top of the zone. The other one's at the bottom. That's two, three feet of, of area that you have to cover. So if you can do both, it's really hard to game plan for. It's really hard to, to create uh, an approach for again, like you just have to sell out for one, but that's really difficult to do because there's always that. Well, what if he does this? What if he throws this pitch? Um, You know, that's why guys with more options, uh, you know, the, the unpredictability of an arsenal is, is effective the unpredictability of two fastballs. Now put that in Robbie Ray and, and George Kirby and Luis Castillo's hands at 95 to hundred. That's pretty difficult to do. 
We're visiting with Mariners pitching coach Pete Woodworth. We're on the hot stove. Brought to you by Hatback. Come out to Hatback Bar and Grill Saturday night for the big college hoops matchup between Gonzaga and St. Mary's at 7.30 p.m. Plus, enjoy the NHL All-Star Weekend and a full slate of NBA action. Just go to hatback.com to make a reservation today. We have more with Mariners pitching coach Pete Woodworth coming your way right after this as Hot Stove continues. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Two outs, nobody on. The payoff. Cut on and missed. 98 mile an hour flames right over the heart of the plate. The fifth strikeout for Luis Castillo, who carves up the Blue Jays over seven innings. Give that man a key to the city. He has owned Toronto in the Mariners' first postseason game in 20 years. He exits the mound after seven strong and a 4 nothing Mariners lead. There's some Luis Castillo. Welcome back to the Hot Stove. Gary Hill, Aaron Goldsmith. Spring training right around the corner. Why don't you come on board as a Mariners Flex member? You can choose the games and seats you want all season long. Plus, save at least 10% on tickets. Pay no fees. For more info, visit Mariners.com slash flex. As we continue our conversation with Mariners pitching coach Pete Woodworth. Pete, we were wondering, how would you describe the culture of the Mariners pitching staff? Hmm. Um, our bullpen is incredible. We, we think that in, in 2020 and it, it, then everybody's kind of gone in 21 and what those guys did last year, they have this identity, they have this camaraderie, uh, and guys come and go, even the core guys that were there in 21, like weren't there this past year, but there's something about like the identity that they built, the accountability that they have for each other that you can you know, plug and place different people in there. And it's just like, they've been here forever. It's like just part of their, it runs through their blood and that's unique for sure. And the, the starters, I, I would say very similar. There is this, I think this is just throughout baseball, like the, the relievers and the starters, there are kind of two different squads. I think our group does a really good job of, of breaking down that wall. And it is one unit. And I think a lot of our success this year was because the hitters and the pitchers were one unit, which wasn't the case in, in the past. That wall, you know, fell down very quickly. You're, you're just seeing pitchers and hitters hanging out on and off the field. Um, again, holding each other accountable, being honest with each other, so on and so forth. Everybody loves to come to work. And I think that's special. I think that's different. We get a lot of guys from different organizations and you don't hear that. When you say pitchers and hitters, do you mean athletes and non-athletes? <laughs> yeah, the, the the pitchers and the non-athletes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, along those lines, there's a infield pop-up just to the third base side of the mound. Non-Marco answers only. Which pitcher do you put your house on making the catch? <laughs> My house? Your house. Flexin. Flexin or Diego Castillo? Hey, does Diego Castillo throw a football left-handed? Diego Castillo can throw anything left-handed. <laughs> so he throws long toss with Munoz almost every day. They play catch together. And when Diego's done throwing, he just plays catch left-handed. When he's reached his like, ah, I'm good for today. 
he, he doesn't even use a left-handed glove. He just turns his glove and puts it on the other hand and catches Munoz and then throws it back to him left-handed. Yeah. And if something happened where we needed an outfielder in the game, it would be Diego Castillo. What? If you have ever watched BP, watch Diego Castillo shag BP. Him and Flexen are fourth outfielders on at least five other clubs. <laughs> <laughs> Defensive replacement fourth outfielders. Although Flexen could probably hit a little bit. Has Castillo ever lobbied to pitch in a game left-handed? Like it, it, <laughs> to this level? Yeah. How good is it, Pete? How good is it? Uh, it's firm to quite firm. Um, it's yeah. You wouldn't know that he's not left-handed. You wouldn't, you probably wouldn't say, Oh wow. That's what a major leaguer looks like. But you wouldn't say, Oh, that guy's throwing with the wrong arm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Very this, talented. This is the biggest development of the off season because we saw, we saw Diego uh, chucking a football from up on the booth over the summer during some early work. And, you know, we were not really paying that much attention. You guys go out there and they mill around all the time. And somebody said, I think I just saw Diego throw a football left-handed. <laughs> and no one believed that person. <laughs> and we should have. And it was a seed. Yeah, I'm sure it was. It was tight and looked like Mahomes, the whole thing. George Kirby was tremendous last year in his first season. Where does he go from here? What What's George Kirby's potential as a pitcher? The sky's the limit. I cannot say enough positive things about George. And I forget that that was his first year. Not that I've coached him a ton, just I've been around him the last three years. Um, yeah. You forget that, that you know, he just debuted the way he handles himself. He hates mound visits. He's my least favorite person to go out with to the mound. He, I'm not saying he has it all figured out, but I mean, that dude is as competitive as they come. One of the most talented, I'll just say talented humans. Um, cause if you, you give him a football, he, he'll, you know, throw 60 yard dimes. You give him a hacky sack, he'll hacky sack you in circles. Um, you, you put a golf club in his hand. He's a scratch golfer. You, I don't know, put a guitar in his hand. He could probably shred with the best of them. Like he's just really talented at everything. So whatever he wants to do in this game, he he's going to do. He's really fun to be around. He's, he's ex uh, all our guys are fun and easy to coach, but like, there's another guy who's like, Hey, like try this two seam <laughs> 20 inches of horizontal, like second time he threw it. Okay. All right. That's pretty cool. Glad we got that. Um, let's try one in the game. You know, you know, have the right situation. Nobody on. Um, you know, let's use it to somebody down in the lineup. Once we get ahead in the count, um, George Springer leads off with a double. Hey, Boba Shett, two seam. Hey, Vladimir Guerrero, two seam. <laughs> he just started pulling him out in the very first inning in the fourth pitch of the game with runner in scoring position, and it worked. Um, <laughs> His ability to his pro perception is uh, incredible. He can pick things up very quickly and 
now it's part of him. Pete Woodworth is our guest, Mariners pitching coach. Who is your biggest nerd, and who is your biggest just-give-me-the-ball guy? I think C-ball, hit-ball, I would have to say Luis Castillo. Whatever you put down. I don't think he shakes. I think he shook once. Whatever you put down, he's going to throw. And again, like just unyielding confidence in it. Um, biggest nerd? I mean, Paul's our, our team dad. Like, <laughs> okay, I, I mean, like, I think we can go two different directions on nerd. We can do like life nerd, you know, like, like maybe Paul has the best <laughs> maybe Paul has Sorry, the best wranglers of everyone. Okay. Um, but then there's also like from a baseball nerd standpoint, baseball nerd. Um, Although I do appreciate the extra credit of burying Paul right there. Oh, Paul, I'm sorry, dude. I don't think Paul would disagree. Yeah. And how he's able to switch that on and and be that like lunatic in the game. It's incredible. Um, And then like five minutes later, he's doing your taxes. (laughs) (laughs) That's like Michael Jordan esque, like flipping it on and off. Um, Biggest baseball nerd, uh, probably Gilbert. Gilbert is a, is a student of the game. He's not going to leave any stone unturned. Yeah, he's kind of into everything. And Festa, I wouldn't call Festa a baseball nerd, but Festa is is very intelligent when it comes to, to pitching and how to make things move. Pete, you're the greatest. Thanks for all the time tonight. We really appreciate it. This was fun. And I guess we'll see you in a couple weeks. I hope so. I'm tired of hibernating. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Pitching coach Pete Woolworth. Hot Stove continues right after this. Andy McKay will be with us as we continue. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You. This is the Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Welcome back to the Hot Stove. Gary Hill alongside Aaron Goldsmith as we visit now with Assistant General Manager Andy McKay. Andy, it is great to chat once again. How's your offseason going? Uh, my off season has been uh, great, and uh, I appreciate you guys having me on and giving me the opportunity to chat. But it's been great; it's been very productive. Um, obviously, we ended the year on a, a high note of getting into the playoffs and so forth, and uh, we immediately just went right back to work and trying to make our team better and see if we can take this thing to the next step. Andy, you have uh, your fingerprints all over this organization and this ball club, and we were all really excited for. The news of your promotion right around Thanksgiving, uh, you have long overseen the Mariners minor league farm system. And as we all know, a farm system that for a number of years has been ranked at the very top. And now you are the assistant general manager of the Seattle Mariners. First of all, um, what does that mean to you to continue to climb within this organization and to have that brand new role? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's interesting. It, most of the time, I can tell you not mo- all of the time in my career, these things have kind of come out of nowhere. Um, you know, they weren't 
necessarily goals of mine. They were opportunities that presented themselves, even the original, you know, coming to the Mariners as the farm director. And I can tell you, until that conversation with Jerry, I'd never once thought about being an assistant general manager, but you know, it's an opportunity to, to continue to have impact. And I think regardless of whatever the job I've had or the title I've had, you know, as long as it gives me the opportunity to, uh, to have an impact, to combine some, some aspect of, of leading people and, and teaching people, I'm going to be thrilled. And, um, you know, so it, this is just another opportunity for me to, you know, maybe work with a different group than I have and to, um, you know, try to work with people towards a common goal. And, and that's what we're trying to do. You started this conversation by mentioning the postseason, and it's not only the story of last year getting to the postseason, but how that occurred. And you look at Cal Raleigh and Julio and Logan Gilbert and George Kirby go down the list of all the impact from within the organization that made that happen. What is the organization doing so well right now in terms of development? We have really good people in place and we have, you know, we've worked incredibly hard to attract uh, the right people in terms of our, our coaches really from top to bottom. And as you know, most of our major league staff are now coaches who had come through our development system. And, And so the focus on coaching our coaches finding, you know, if you just think about I think the process that most people would basically understand in terms of like acquiring a player and coaching that player, we're doing the same thing with our staff members. You know, you're you're trying to, to access the best that we can, and then you're trying to coach them and fully develop them. And, you know, we, we've done a good job of that. It's been a, a huge collaboration uh, to do that, but we feel like every employee, every coach, we're trying to equip them uh, every skill, every behavior that they're going to need to really try to get, try to get to their dream job, and and that's been it's it's been a successful process for us. And I think number two, we have a really clear process laid out for how we want to coach our players. That clarity is so powerful, and it all starts with dominating the strike zone. And so we take these large concepts and ideas and then really drill down to the individual and how to how can that player best do it um, based on their skill set, based on their belief system, based on what we can kind of project would be something that they could actually accomplish. And it all starts with dominating the strike zone. And then you just kind of work backwards all the way down to each individual. And every player in our system has an individualized development plan that is all geared towards um, dominating the strike zone. And, and then that plan is also mirrored with our coaches. Our coaches have development plans on how they can be better and uh, things for them to work on, uh, helping them identify what they do really well um, and what they really can't stop doing well. You know, that, that's a common thing where people are really good at something and for whatever reason, they stop doing that thing. And so we help we try to help them identify the best version of them and help them get to it. Andy McKay is our guest on the hot stove. He's the Mariners assistant general manager. Andy, it might be easy for some to kind of lose the grand timeline of everything, but you were really one of the first members of this regime uh, brought in by Jerry DePoto. And we've talked about your background getting to where you are now, but as you just went, 
through the processes that the Mariners go through and how that has been really drilled down and become very concise and and uh, just very much a part of the Mariners' identity about their process and how they go about things. Can you kind of walk us through the evolution of that? Because it does feel like, as we've yeah. watched this year after year, it really feels like it started to snowball in a very good way, uh, Andy, where you had a bunch of new guys, right, who all have new jobs and they're all collaborating and working together for the first time when, when this ship set sail under Jerry and Scott. And now it feels like the thing, the wheels are really in motion. And now every year it's how can we get better and better with this foundation that have been, has been put uh, underneath everyone. There are some, you know, some pretty major turning points in our process. And, and a lot of those points started many, many years ago before we were all together. And if that makes sense, things that, things that, you know, dominating the strike zone was something that Jerry had really began championing in Arizona, even before he was with the angels. And, you know, it was an idea that he had, it was a vision that he had, and he brought it here. And each of us brought different things, and it took a little bit of time to kind of put it all together like in a manageable, simple process that could be repeated over and over again. But as you put it, you're exactly right. It did take a little bit of time, and then it just kind of took off. And it took off when we were able to to get it all on paper, get it out of our heads and, and just really formulate a plan that was simple and easy to digest and easy to understand. And then as our departments came together, you know, and there's a lot of departments between scouting and player development and high performance, baseball operations, our analysts, that collaboration. I was actually texting with Carson Vitale last night uh, on an issue and, uh, you know, I said the, the the way the Mariners are collaborating right now, it's the single greatest accomplishment I've ever been part of. And, and I mean that, you know, when we discuss a player, whether it's a, a Harry Ford or a Cole Young, or whether it's a Julio Rodriguez, we're discussing a player through the lens of 10, 15 people at times. You know, if there's something just like hypothetically, with his swing, perhaps. And now you could use this for any position player, any pitcher. You know, before we talked about the swing itself, we would talk about the data. And what's the baseball telling us? Is he still hitting the ball hard? Is he not hitting it as hard? Is he hitting it more in the air on the ground? And really get evidence to kind of start with. And so, like, if I were to stick from a an offensive standpoint, our model is start with the ball. What's the ball telling us? Then you go to the bat. And what's the bat path telling us? Then you go to the body. And at that point in time, now you're talking about trainers and therapists and strength coaches that can illuminate, hey, you know, you're actually trying to do something. His body's not going to do it. He doesn't have the rotation in his, in his core that you think he has. And so we need to come up with a different plan. We need to work around. Mental skills gets involved in the performance cycles. And... and it's really impressive if you could ever sit in one of those meetings and listen to everybody putting their their thoughts together and it ends up on a single piece of paper that's presented to the player. And that player plan process is so holistic, it covers everybody, but it gets whittled down to very simple concepts that we all understand and that make sense and we all believe we can actually pull off. And I think that's kind of the, the heart of the engine of what you're seeing right now. And 
and it wasn't always like that. You know, when we came in, I guess, eight years ago, it was kind of the big, we were just starting to get in this huge analytical push of what TrackMan and the, the, the data coming from the baseball could do. We started getting into really understanding how much a pitch was moving and you could quantify it. And so those things kind of all came together in a perfect storm. And one of the things I'm, I'm most proud of is that, you know, we really removed the idea of support staff that everybody's contributing. There are no tiers. There's nobody that is more important than any other. And whether it's an analyst or a mental skills coach or Jared DeHart as our major league hitting coach, they're all working together um, and their voices are all heard. And, um, and we're doing it in Boca Chica and we're doing it in Seattle and everywhere in between. Visiting with Andy McKay here on the hot stove. Mariners promo schedule just dropped. It's jam-packed with can't-miss giveaways, a Julio bobble, JP Funko pop, the clinch, Cal bobble, Steelheads jersey, seven fireworks nights, so much more. Check it out. You can just go to Mariners.com slash promotions. Visiting with Andy McKay here on hot stove. We'll come back with more Andy right after this. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Back on the hot stove, Gary Hill, Aaron Goldsmith, as we continue our conversation with Mariners Assistant General Manager Andy McKay. Andy, thinking about all the work you've put in to get here and all the people around you putting in the work and effort and time, what did last year mean to you getting into the postseason? I felt some validation. You know, I that scene, not not when Cal hit the home run, but that, you know, the the last day of our season when the ballpark was packed. I knew that was going to happen. I knew we were going to put, you know, we were going to fill that stadium to capacity. People were going to be waving calls. It was going to be loud. You know, I, I had seen that moment in my head so many times for, you know, six and seven years. Um, all of it. Um, and even down to Mike McCready playing the national anthem, you know, actually in my, in my vision, I had Pete Carroll throwing out the first pitch, but I, I'd seen it so many times and it was a little surreal, uh, cause it was actually played out very similar to how I had, had seen it in my mind so many times, but most I was happy for our players. I know how hard Scott has worked, you know, Jerry and Justin to get to see them. And I, 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 I tried my best to, to observe it more than participate in it. I, I was just very, very happy for them um, because I know what they've been through. I know how hard it's been. And uh, that moment was, was, was really, it was important to them and they deserved it. And to get to see our players celebrate that way. And I'm glad I did it that way. I'm glad I kind of took one step back because, um, If I'd gotten lost in it, I wouldn't have seen the expressions on people's faces that I saw the way I saw them. And, uh, you know, and and then you snap a finger and it's over and you're right back to work. Hmm. So, but it it was great. And it's always about our fans. It's always been about our fans. And so many cool moments through that process of, um, I think just like you and me, we all fell in love with the game for some reason. And, we helped a lot of people fall in love with the game last year. I really believe that. How true that is. A couple of final moments here with Mariners assistant general manager, Annie McKay. 
All right, Andy, let's put on our red cardigan, our khaki pants, and let's uh, take a visit to Andy McKay's library. Let's have a little story time. I know, uh, <laughs> Andy, I know you are uh, our, our resident librarian. So tell yes. me tell me the off-season reading list, Andy. What, what book wow. recommendations do we have during maybe an off day or two, maybe a long flight across sure. the country? What should we, what should we delve no. into? You know, it's been a it's been a great off season for reading. I'll give you one. It's in my hand right now. It's called The Art of Impossible by Steve Collar. And it's an amazing book. Steve Collar is a researcher on peak performance and high performance. Um, and he lays out a blueprint and a formula for high achievers as well as any, anything I've ever read. Couldn't recommend it enough. Before this, I finished, uh, and I forget the name of it, but uh, Rick Rubin, the record producer, uh, wrote an incredible, incredible book about being creative and how to get the ideas out of your head into the real world. And, uh, Rick Rubin's a, a record producer who's produced the Beastie Boys, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Run DMC, Metallica, Johnny Cash, uh, um, the Dixie Chicks and kind of everywhere in between. Again, he laid out a really clear concept as to how to help other people get the best of them, like get those thoughts out of their head and, and get them into the real world so that other people can benefit from them. I thought it was fantastic. And both of these books are actually one two that I couldn't put down. And all of these things are, they, they end up becoming things I share with our coaches and, and so forth. And then, uh, Another one, I'll forget the name of it, but uh, uh, the athletic writer who covers the Golden State Warriors wrote a really, really good book on kind of the, the rise of the Warriors. And uh, uh, I, I thought it told the story of their front office as, as well as as well as you could, you know, from from the ownership group who bought the team and, and bringing in the GM to how they were able to acquire Steve Kerr and then putting the roster together. And so those were three of my... Three of my big ones. The Ricky Henderson biography was phenomenal. Dave Parker biography was was exceptional. So a lot of reading, um, and uh, it's one of my joys. If we if we actually if we have a second here, I, I think the bigger story, Aaron, is the fact that you're still here doing this interview with me. And I want to take a second. I'm going to turn the table on you, and and remind you and let you know how important you are to the Mariners and how much we appreciate you. And, you know, all of us who love this game, we all had an Aaron Goldsmith who brought the game to life for us when we weren't there. You know, the people that we, we let into our homes at night on our televisions or we let into our cars and the radio, you know, mine was Ernie Harwell growing up in Detroit. Um, you know, George Kell and LK line on uh, channel four, and uh, what you do in terms of telling the story and bringing it to life for, for our fans is, is so important. And, and I was excited for you when I heard you had an opportunity to maybe go back to St. Louis, which I know is home. But I'm thrilled you're here, man. And, uh, and I know our fans are, too. And, you know, you're, the, you're, always, you're always the one throwing praise on everybody. And I think we've got to reverse it a little bit and, and let you know how good you are at your job. I know how hard you work at it. I see the preparation that goes into it and you are really good at it and it makes a difference for us and it makes a big difference for our fans. So um, I did want to say that today and I, and I really do appreciate you, man. 
Well, Andy, I don't, I don't know how how to respond to that exactly. You're, you're uh, bringing in a tear to my eye, man. I, I that means the world coming from you, and um, yeah, that that story's been told. I don't need to explain it anymore. But I, I can tell you this: that there are relationships in this organization, uh, and certainly you are a part of that, no doubt. That make this place very special, as you have documented, and it's not just special for the coaching staff or the players, uh, but for us in the broadcast booth as well. And uh, you all are just the best to interact with. And uh, it's special. You know that Gary knows that I know that it's a very special place and um, ultimately a place that we all want to be. So I'm glad we're all in it together, Andy. Yes. As am I. And onward to bigger and better things. And, uh, you know, last year was not the last chapter of the book. I can promise you that. There's a lot of book that we're still going to keep writing and and uh, onward to bigger things. And there'll be more road road uh, blocks and there'll be bumps in the road. But uh, uh, the train is moving forward and, and I'm thrilled to be part of it. Well said. Thank you, Andy. I know you're traveling and we appreciate you taking so much time with us tonight. And we'll see you soon. We'll see you in Arizona. All right. Thanks, fellas. Bye-bye. Assistant General Manager Andy McKay. We come back. We're going to check in on the Angels. We'll talk with Sam Blum, writer for The Athletic for the Angels. We'll dive into that. And we return right after this on The Hot Stove. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Well, welcome back inside the hot stove. Great to have you with us tonight. Gary Hill, Aaron Goldsmith, and now we're joined by Sam Blum, writer for The Athletic, covering the Angels. Last week, we took a look at the Astros. The week before was the Rangers, and now it's the Angels' turn. Sam, it's great to have you with us tonight. Thanks for the time. We appreciate it. Guys, to be here, Gary and Aaron. Appreciate it. I think there's an obvious place. Maybe there's a couple obvious places to start with the Angels, but first... Uh, I can speak for me. I was pretty stunned when Artie Moreno decided that he is not selling the Angels. You're more on the inside than we are. Were you as surprised as everyone else about that news? Yeah, I'm, I was really shocked. Uh, I mean, you know, the thing about Artie is he, it, we're coming up on three years since he last gave any public remarks, really. Uh, so really, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly was surprised. Don't really get, don't have too much of an insight on, 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 you know, why exactly he did this, because nobody really does. But I, you know, I know for a fact that this team was going to sell probably for a record amount more than the Mets, probably uh, the 2.4 billion that Steve Cohen bought the Mets for. I mean, and, and you understand why the Angels are in Southern California. Obviously, they're they're a butt of a lot of jokes, but there's a lot of potential with a team that's playing in, in Orange County and you know uh, has the superstar talent that it that it has. I mean, really, if it, if another owner were to come in and invest around those two guys, there's a lot that could be done to turn this uh, franchise into a, into a winner really quickly. So I know why Angels fans are upset. Um, you know, Artie Moreno is, has not put the resources into building a winning franchise. You know, I think, you know, his counterpoint would be, well, we spend on free agents and they certainly have and, and made bad investments a lot of the times. Um, you know, they don't build around their organization a lot in terms of, you know, player development, you know, treating alumni uh, well, just the things that are either, you know, their broadcast teams. Well, I mean, things that just kind of if you do all of them right, you start to see the benefits of them over the course of a long period of time. And they just haven't done it. And so as a result, um they haven't won. And, and I think that's why, you know, angels fans are probably pretty upset over the news last week, but it, it probably pretty shocked too. I mean, he certainly seemed like he was, he was ready to, to, uh, to sell the team based on his statement from August, but it needs to, or what it should be doing to get there. 
How do you think Artie's announcement ties into the Otani situation? I think it's to, to be determined, but on the face of it, I don't think it's a good thing. I mean, obviously, one of the uh, it's known that one of the uh, people that was trying to purchase the team, I believe, was um, someone in Japan. It's I can tell you exactly what, what role they have or how they have their money or what you know company they own or business or whatever it might be, but. It's it, it's not even about who the owner would be. It's about the. I, I think it comes more down to the money. And and if an owner is going to come in and spend three billion dollars on a team, it figures that they're going to be willing to invest in that team and possibly be willing to uh you know pay Shohei Otani upwards of you know whatever he might make could be five hundred million dollars over you know eight ten years whatever it might be. And so um, with Otani, it's it. I think it remains to be seen. But if Artie's going to spend like he has. And and kind of stay below that that luxury tax thresholds uh, moving forward. It's really hard to envision them keeping Otani uh, and still building a competent roster around him, especially considering he's going to be getting upward of you know north of thirty. You know, Mike Trout in a couple of years is I mean, this is his age thirty one season. Mike Trout, you know, there's uh, Rendon is you know hasn't played the last three years really that much. And, and he's going to be, you know, mid thirties, a lot of injury history. So they're going to be paying a lot of money to players that are getting older and not necessarily doing enough to build a young, sustainable pipeline of players coming up through their system. So the, the, the question is, can already retain Otani, pay him what he will get and what he will earn on the open market and then still be able to build a competent roster around him. And then the other half of that is how does Otani feel about everything? And, um, you know, he's been very, very coy and I want to say invasive because he's typically pretty honest, but uh, you know, he, he doesn't always like to give the full answer maybe of how he feels, but I think if you read between the lines, I mean, he wants to win and, and I think he might be a little frustrated that the seasons he's put up has uh, not resulted in even a 500 record uh, or even close to it. I mean, they were a terrible team last year and he put, but what I would argue is maybe one of the best seasons ever played along with Mike Trout hitting 40 home runs, uh, probably about a quarter of them against the Mariners. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so it's, uh, yeah, that's that it's, it's just, you, you want to be able to see the path forward with Otani and the angels and, and Artie Moreno. But I think a lot of the reasons why people are upset last week is they, they, they look at Otani and they're saying, what's the path forward here. And the only real answer is already increasing his payroll exponentially. And, uh, Maybe he'll do it. Maybe he maybe he wants to to put together a real legacy uh, and not have it be this, uh, you know, one of the worst owners in sports, um, you know, which, you know, I'm not saying that's what he is, but it's he's certainly not one of the best. Um, so it's yeah, I think that's why people feel the way they do. Sam Blum is our guest. He covers the Angels for the athletic. He just does sensational work for them. You know, it's. It's kind of interesting when you look at what it would take to retain Otani, a free agent, after this year, Sam. It almost feels like the Angels would have needed to do something along the lines of what the Rangers started last year, right? Where you go out, you get two major free agent pieces, and then you add a DeGrom this year to go along with what you already started building last year. I mean, this is just speculation on your point, on your part, of course, but do you, at this point, I mean, it's seven straight seasons under 500 for the Angels. It's the longest such streak in baseball. And let's let's not pot kettle black situation here. The Mariners have had their struggles. They've now started to turn things around and are clearly pointed in the, in a much better direction. But do you feel like at this point, even if they had gone in this offseason and spent wild like Cohen and the Mets, would there really have been a realistic chance to keep Otani from what you were thinking? Because this is this is the biggest free agent contract we will ever see when it comes. 
You know, I think with Otani, I mean, yeah, you know, he could be just dead set on hitting free agency and seeing what what will come of it because there are going to because when you have a lot of team, I mean, it's just Nate, the nature of, you know, supply demand. If there's a lot of uh, a lot of bidders, the price will go up. Uh, so he might just want to, you know, enter free agency. That being said, I mean, I do think there is, I mean, I do think he likes, I don't think he's like miserable with the angels. I really don't. I mean, he's, they've given him a freedom to operate in the way that he wants. You know, they took a lot of the restrictions off him that maybe he had his first few years. They kind of let him do his thing. You know, he can kind of work out as he pleases, where he pleases, when he wants. Um, you know, they give him a lot of latitude with, uh, you know, kind of the involvement of his, you know, representation in the organization, things like that. So there's, um, I think there's a lot of reasons why he's comfortable with this team. And obviously he picked them to begin with. I mean, he, you know, he, he likes, I think Southern California, it's, it's a quicker plane ride back home for him. Uh, so there's, there's some reasons why I think he'd want to stay, you know, close teammates. I mean, this is something he's been there for five years now. So it's, it's not like he's, uh, you know, there's no chance of the angels resigning him. I just think it would have been a much better effort had there been another owner in place who who you knew would be willing to maybe put this payroll up to the 300 close to the 300 million it might take to kind of have the two guys they're already paying a ridiculous amount of money on top of what otani will make which i'm sure will be a record aav whenever it kind of gets to that point but you're right i mean i think the rangers are a great blueprint i mean you know ray davis has his own issues as an owner i think but at the end of the day he's uh you know, they built a new ballpark there. They've invested in a lot of uh, free agents. They have a good farm system there. Uh, and so at the end of the day, I mean, this is that's kind of, I think, a better blueprint for how you might attract free agent players. I mean, they were able to get Jacob deGrom out of New York. And uh, that's a that's I think that is a reflection of kind of a team that's building something that other free agents and players around the league are act- actively excited about. If Artie were here, he would say, well, listen, guys, I I locked up Mike Trout to this colossal extension, right? I went out and I spent an enormous amount of money on Rendon. Granted, he hasn't been able to stay healthy, but from an owner's standpoint, he did, he did spend, right? And he did get a marquee player. And yet when we watch the angels play the Mariners or any other team, it's the ultimate example of stars and scrubs, right? Stars and duds. It's, you have these amazing marquee generational talents, and then just a bunch of, what feels like at times, depending on what point of the season it is and who's available, like a bunch of quad A replacement level players. With that in mind, what is it that you have seen from this team in this offseason or that you project for the future that would make you think that that will not be the case? Because it, it can't be if they want to be where they want to get to. I think that they will be better this year because, and, and I, you know, this the way that the act, this ownership situation played out, I, I, in a way, it did I think benefit the Angels because they were, I should say, benefit Perry Manazian to some extent because I think that they really built their offseason around short term investments as opposed to, you know, going big on a free agent that was not going to, you know, that, that you know maybe would have helped, maybe wouldn't, have, maybe would have turned into Rendon, and in the way that he's kind of panned out with the Angels thus far. But, you know, look at who they've kind of acquired. They, they got a bunch of guys on who are really only two to th- one to three years. And I think all of them give the Angels more depth than they had last year. You saw what happened when, I mean, I couldn't name the number of third basemen that played last year after Rendon. I mean, there's, and I, I mean, I know we're, we're including uh, Mariners legend Jack Mayfield in that. So, um, but it's just two, right. two way, two way, two way player, Jack. Two way star, right? He did. I think he may have, I think his one outing was against the Mariners, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but, you know, that, but he's and, and that's not to be critical of Jack, but, you know, I think it's just a reflection of this. This team had uh, 
had no depth. I mean, zero. Mike Trout went down for a month in the middle of the season. I mean, they they called up Steven Duggar, who I think struck out like 16 of his 18, like at best, something like that. I mean, he was just not ready to do, he was in a bad spot. And, you know, they called up guys from double A who weren't on the 40 man. And it was just like patchwork. And that's the reason why they lost. I mean, they had a couple guys in their, in their lineup and then, you know, they lost like that. So I think they have a, they have a couple more options this year. They pushed out, you know, Joe Adele and Mickey Moniak from being guys they need to rely on, which is smart. I mean, I, I'm sure at some point they'll, they'll, they'll be up if they're still in the organization and they'll have to, you know, be kind of relied on to help at some point, but it's, it's better to not have those guys be everyday starters. You know, I think Hunter Renfro is a really good acquisition. Um, you know, obviously Mike Trout and Taylor Ward had a great year last year. So, um, you know, he's a good player, uh, you know, and, and on the infield, getting guys like Giro Rochella and, and Brandon Jury, you know, now you have a little bit more depth if someone like Rendon gets hurt or Jared Walsh, who's coming off an injury. I mean, and that, that's part of why they were bad too. I mean, Jared Walsh had a horrible year last year. Max Dassey hit 180. I mean, and he'd been, his track record had been a lot better than that. So, you know, I think that they made some good coaching staff decisions. They've probably brought in some good free agents that will make them a competitive team. I wouldn't be surprised if they're in the hunt for a wild card. Um, but, you know, is, is this a team that's really competing for a World Series? Uh, I think the Mariners are in better position. I think the Rangers are in better position. I think the Astros are in better position. So, uh, and then the A's will, you know, lose every one of their games. So, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but they they, they, they didn't have a terrible offseason. They just don't seem to be uh, interested in keeping any of the players that their fans like. So, um, you know, it's uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a reason for this team to be up, for fans to be optimistic about the Angels in 2023, but uh, that just really took a hit last week. You kind of alluded to it. How do you see the division shaking out at this stage? You know, the Astros are the Astros. I mean, I certainly think they'll win the division. Uh, and it's a different year. I mean, so everyone's playing each other a lot less. Uh, you know, you're playing all every team in baseball. So it's the division is going to be It's kind of like the NBA a little bit more in terms of, you know, I don't think they're as important. Obviously, that can determine things like you know, seeding in the playoffs. But, um, you know, I think the Astros are the best team in, in the league, possibly the best team in baseball. And then I think it's the Mariners and, and the Rangers are such a wild card. I mean, you know, they are, they were, I think they may have even finished behind the angels last year. So do what they do enough. I mean, some of their prospects they've called up over the years have have not really panned out. Um, so I still think they're in a bit of a transition. They'll probably be the, I mean, if you had to pick uh, standings, it would be, I, I would go right now. I'd probably say uh, Astros, Mariners, Rangers, angels, A's, but um you know, there's no reason to think, I think any, anyone besides the A's could win the division at this point. Wrapping things up with Sam Blum. He covers the Angels for the Athletic. All right, Sam, um, I need your best food take in the American League. All right, like take me to a ballpark in the American League. It's pregame. What are we? What are we time we eat in, Sam? Are we going five thirty, six o'clock hour. I mean, what what what's our deadline? Hmm. Well, it's, I, I, it's not Anaheim. Uh, I can move <laughs> <on Anaheim. laughs> That's an easy X off the list. Uh, man, Seattle's looking? got some good options. Um, what do they used to? They used to have their, their like what was it the crickets or something? What was there the are food? there are uh, there are some spicy crickets out of the pen. But you know, Gary um, and I are, we're always looking for uh, a good wreck. We, I feel like we have most of it covered, but there might be something. I mean, you're an investigator. I'm, I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not adventurous at these. Pl- I'm just like, let's get this food in and get out, get out of there. I'm not, you know, I, I, I see just eating around Seattle is better. I mean, it's the best. I mean, it, to me, it's the best uh, city in, in all of baseball. Um, Whoa. I've been to everyone. I've been to like Colorado. Maybe that's better. Uh, but I, I love going to Seattle every chance I can. 
I, I, you know, I, we don't, we don't go to every road game, so I can always uh, do my best to get on the Seattle trips. And I was up, I covered the Astros in the playoffs last year and made the five hour trip between Houston for that one, or I guess it was two games in one in uh, with one final score. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I love, that was the, that was one of the coolest environments I've ever seen. And, you know, I, I know I'm not answering your food recommendation, but, uh, um, <laughs> I just, I don't have a good answer for you. So I, I'll go with Seattle, probably the best place to get a, to get a quality meal, especially outside the ballpark. You know, there's a lot of good options, but, um, yeah. Oh, you know, they know it's really good in, in Houston. I'm flanking on it. They have this really good, um, uh, Ninfas in, uh, in Houston. Really good. It's Mexican food. Tex-Mex. Yeah. Yeah. That, highly that's recommend. The, that, is that the one that doesn't have prices on the menu? No, it, it does. And it, oh, it, does? It, it scares you a little bit sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey, since you brought it up, I'm, I am I have to know, you mentioned the atmosphere in that marathon game three of the divisional round. Like, what do you remember the most about that game? Man, um, God, you know, I, I, it was just, to me, it was like the way um, some of these relievers came in and just couldn't, you know, he's like, where, where is it? Luis Garcia is throwing like 97. Like, when, where did that come from? I mean, and then Julio's catch, I mean, uh, I think Macklemore was the brought him up in like the 17th inning. Like, you know, he's just like, let's get like, uh, man, this might've been good. Like four hours ago. <laughs> I'm tired. now. <laughs> uh, but it was, it was, uh, you know, I was rooting for another game there. I mean, it was it's just cause it was so cool. And, um, you know, it was one of the best atmospheres I've ever seen. And, you know, you could tell, you could tell it had been 20 years. You could tell it had been a long time and, and how special it was. And, um, you know, there, I, you know, obviously we're also there at the end of uh, the 2021 season when the, when the Mariners were, uh, were trying to get in the playoffs and the Angels kind of ruined that for them. Um, and again, it was just, you can just tell how meaningful it is for that, for when they're good, uh, how cool, uh, how cool it is to be there. Uh, I loved it. Hopefully get a chance to, to cover more playoff games there. Sam, we took a lot of your time tonight. We really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much. Anytime. Hopefully it was all right. It was great. Sam Blum from The Athletic. You can find him on Twitter as well, at Sam Blum 3. We'll come back. We'll wrap things up on the hot stove right after this. The Hot Stove Show on Seattle Sports. Presented by Hatback Bar and Grill. Welcome back one final time. It's the hot stove brought to you by Hatback. Hatback Bar and Grill is Soto's go-to spot for delicious bites and brews. Open for lunch and dinner every day, 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. There's no better atmosphere to watch your favorite team. Check out the menu and tap list at hatback.com. Wrapping things up, Gary Hill, Aaron Goldsmith. Aaron, this was a great show. It's a fantastic show, Gary. And I don't know. I don't know my favorite part. Um, Maybe he was hearing about the angels struggling, <laughs> um, but I think uh, higher road, <laughs> higher road. Um, it's good to have Artie back. I think the I don't I can't pinpoint it, Gary, but I think it. You know, we talk about the depth of the of the talent on the team uh, and the expectations for the Mariners this year. But man, putting shows together like this becomes so easy when you have so many people within the organization yeah. that are so free flowing with their information. And their time, certainly. But uh, there's it's an embarrassment of riches of people to talk to within the Mariners right now. It's pretty remarkable. I was trying to think about my favorite moments from these last two hours. Uh, it's the image of Logan Gilbert checking all his contraptions in at the counter at the airport 
is great. And Diego Castillo being a fourth outfielder is <laughs> there's so many highlights, I think, from this episode. I think it's Pete Woodworth's uh, popsicle stick coach of the year award. <laughs> yes. I think that that might be up there for me. Yeah. Because uh, Pete's, uh, Pete's a humble guy. And I think he would receive. Hey, we, we're dads. We know this. Anything your kids make is, is great. Yeah. Well, we have a moment here to get you ready for next week. We already know what's going to be on next week. So, we yeah, you won't want to miss this. We are planning to have Teoscar Hernandez, Cal Raleigh. Jerry DePoto is going to join us. I think we're going to get Stephen Vogt as well. It's going to be a oh, big show. And you're yeah. going to be on. You're going to be on back-to-back weeks. What? Have yeah. you cleared that? Have you cleared that with <laughs> representation? Are we sure about that? I know. How excited are you? We have the media luncheon coming up at T-Mobile Park. Uh, and we're going to have a chance to talk to people in person. Yeah. It'd be great. Which is awesome. All yeah. about that. Thanks for, hey, thanks for the reminder, Gary. I'm going to set some calendar alerts. right. Yeah, right. do that. It'll be great to see you. In the meantime, that's going to do it for us. Hot Stove is done for tonight. We'll talk to you next week. So long.